We are in the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, today we come to probably the most well-known section in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, where King Solomon writes, For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. And let me just point out, up to this point, Solomon has been viewing life under the sun from a secular point of view. And it's very discouraging. But now he's going to give us a glimpse of a heavenly perspective. Okay? So here is uh, a poem that has to do with God's perfect timing under heaven, not just under the sun. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Probably COVID he had in mind there, right? A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now, uh, you know that um, I believe in expository preaching. Expository preaching is... Here, here's my definition of expository preaching. It's when the preacher desires to let the message flow out of the text, as opposed to him saying, oh man, I've got this great idea, now I need a verse to support it. Okay? Um, so, so I believe in expository preaching, um, though I think there is certainly place for good topical messages. In fact, we did that series called Ode to Joy, studying the topic of of joy, and I know a number of you were encouraged by that. So there's a place for good uh, topical preaching, um, but I think the, the, the steady diet that we should have is just let's take a book of the Bible and work our way through it. Now, having said that, there's good expository preaching and bad expository preaching, and a bad expository style of preaching would be to say there's 28 key words here. You know, time to be born, a time to die, time to play. And the preacher would say, all right, we're going to work our way through each one of these. In the original Hebrew, the word is, boom. And then we would cross-reference it and look at three or four different references in the Bible. And we're going to work through all 28 of these words. Not, and I've, I've heard guys do that with this text, Okay. Not only would that be tedious, I think by the time we got to there's a time to weep, we would all be weeping. You know, we're going to look that up now. Okay. And I think that approach misses the point of the genre of the poetry. Okay. Genre means a kind of literature, it's a poem. 
We find here 28 terms in 14 merisms. Now, a merism is a figure of speech that pairs two opposites. Okay? There's a time to be born and a time to die. Right? There's a time for war and a time for peace. It's two opposites, and by pairing them, it's, uh, it's making a statement about all-inclusiveness. It's including everything in between. All right? Um, so, you know, the song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Ain't No Valley Low Enough. Right? You like that song? I did pretty good, didn't I? That's good. All right? Okay. Um, now, see, so here's what some expositors would do with that song. Well, the highest mountain is Mount Everest. It's 29,032 feet. The lowest valley is the Dead Sea Valley. It's 1,400 feet below sea level. The said lover in this song is willing to pursue the beloved up to but no more than 30,432 feet. Well, you've just killed the song. Right? Well, it's a song about passion, right? It's, 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 it's making a bigger point than literal height and depth of Everest and, and the Dead Sea. Okay? What, what, what we're to do here is we're to say, um, he is talking about all of life. Not only are there 28 pairs of words, okay, but the, the 14 different lines also communicate comprehensiveness. We're supposed to step back and say, all of my life, all of, of reality is on schedule according to God's time. Okay? Now, some people just read this poem and they go, oh, it just, it's a nice poem and it says stuff happens. Life happens and death happens and there's a time to dance, and there's a time to mourn. There's a time for war, there's a time for peace. It's just a nice song, and all it's saying is stuff happens. You know, uh, I mentioned in the email that went out, the birds back in 19, was it 65? This was a number one, number one hit um, called Turn, Turn, Turn. And I think the, the world loved it because it's just a nice, nice song about life happens. Okay. But is that all it's saying? No. I think it's saying more than just, hey, there's a season for everything. So let, let's go on and look at verse 9. After the poem, the comprehensive poem, Solomon goes back and he asks the question that he originally began at the beginning of the book. What gain has the worker from his toil? What... what is there any purpose to all this toil and the suffering and the uh, life itself? Is there any gain? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Now, his answer in chapter 1, under the sun, from a secular perspective, was, no, there's really no gain. It's all meaningless, meaningless, vanity of vanities. Everything is vain. But now, his perspective under heaven is this. Verse 11. 
He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. What's, what's he saying? God is intricately weaving all things together in a masterful, beautiful plan. And the gain is we get to be players in this masterful plan. Right? Life is not meaningless. Life is not running out of control. God's got it all woven together in a beautiful quilt. Okay? Now, for God to be able to make everything beautiful, He has to be sovereign. That means He has to be in control over everything. Really, Ecclesiastes 3 is just a longer, more poetic version of Romans 8.28. Really, it's saying this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? Solomon basically said Romans 8:28 a thousand years before Paul wrote Romans uh, or excuse me <laughs> Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes 3 a thousand years before Paul wrote Romans 8:28 but they're saying the same thing Solomon may be a little more poetic than than Paul okay Th- Romans 8:28 has to be the bedrock for believers Because life gets hard. And it's really easy to lose your faith. To to say, what's the use? This hurts and that hurts and it doesn't make sense. And just, I give up. And Romans 8.28 and and, um, Ecclesiastes 3 says, no. God's got, he's got a net underneath you. You can keep faithful and keep following him. And even when it doesn't make sense, he's working it all together for your good. There's the Golden Gate Bridge. It's a mile and a half long. And I came across this interesting little paragraph on a, on a site called forconstructionpros.com. I guess it's built bridge builders, I don't know. Um, But they write this. During the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, several workers fell to their death into the San Francisco Bay's cold and turbulent waters. I mean, imagine being on the very top and slipping and falling ah, all the way down. Um, Nobody survived when they fell. Concerned that their bridge would be slowed down from finishing on time, the builders had a large safety net secured underneath. In fact, it extended several feet outside the width of the bridge and ran the length of the bridge across the bay more than a mile and a half. That is one big trampoline. After the net was installed, several men did fall during the remaining construction, but they fell into the safety net. In fact, men then had to be instructed not to jump into the net for entertainment purposes. (laughs) How many of you would want to take that jump? (laughs) 
I do not like heights. I would not do that at all. Okay. And then all the, all the kids in, in the youth group would go, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll give that a try. Now, here's what's interesting. The productivity of the bridge after the installation of the safety net increased by 25%. Why? Because the fear was removed. And now they could walk and build and, and uh, perform with freedom. That's what Romans 8.28, that's what, what Ecclesiastes 3 is. It's a safety net that says, now go out there and live life. And it may not all make sense, but he's got you. And he's working it all together for your good. Now, that's the safety net here. So now, here's what I want to do. I want to draw out three principles. Okay? Three ways we should now live in light of the fact that God has a, a beautiful, perfectly timed plan. Okay? Principle number one is this. Trust the planner when the plan makes no sense. Trust the planner when the plan makes no sense. Now he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And then, okay, so he's just said, he's, it's all the net's there, just relax. But then he says, here's what's frustrating. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. There's this quest, not only... Uh, to, to try to figure out eternity, but to try to figure out the plan. Don't you want to know what God's up to? Don't you want to figure this whole thing out? Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Part of the plan is God has a perfect plan, and part of the plan of that plan is that you can't figure out the plan. So what are you supposed to do? Trust the planner, not your ability to figure out the plan. Okay? So many Christians get stuck there. Why would God allow this? I can't figure out why God would allow this pain to come into my life. Trust the planner, not your ability to figure out the plan. You don't need to figure it all out, but you do need to know that it's not spiraling out of control. You know, probably the best way to deal with this is to look at, and, 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 and here's, what, here's what happens. Pain comes into our lives, and we go, there's no conceivable reason for this pain. It's got to be out of God's hands. So here's, here's what I want to do. Let's look at the ugliest most painful, sinful thing that ever happened. It's when God became a man and his own people crucified him. And here's what Acts 27 says. For truly, now this is the early church praying in a prayer meeting. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, 
both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now, pause right there. They are, the apostles have just been persecuted by the Sanhedrin. Rome's against them, and they're praying, God, they killed Jesus. The apostles are holding these sinners accountable. There's no idea here that, well, God planned it all, therefore they're not accountable. So the, here is sin of the ugliest kind, yet these people did, uh, they, they were gathered together, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Again, now they're accountable. Okay, But here you have the ugliest, most painful sin ever, yet it's all according to God's plan, and it becomes the most beautiful thing ever. It's where God dies in our place to pay for our sin. If you were standing at the foot of the cross, you would go, how can this be? This makes no sense. Everything's off plan. Yet, the early church says, nope, this is perfectly according to plan. You know, I think of an illustration of this. We had, it's been a long time since I mentioned him, Tucker, our golden retriever. May he live in peace. By the way, there's a question about what, what happens to animals coming up in this book. So Tucker, uh, when we first moved to Batavia, uh, I let him out the back sliding door. It was rainy. And um, I hear him, like, outside the door wanting to get back in. I open the door. He walks in. And the house fills with this pungent skunk smell. He'd been sprayed in the face by a skunk. And I, I didn't know this. I've never seen a dog spit, but he was spitting because it sprayed him in the mouth, too. So we called Elizabeth's brother, who's a vet, and we said, what do you do when the dog's been sprayed? He said, the old tomato juice bath. So I drove to the grocery store, and I, and I walked in the store. It was late at night. And people are like, whew, what is that? It was me. Um, I, I didn't bring the dog to the store. It was me. And I got every can of tomato juice and brought it home. And I took Tucker and put him in this plastic tub outside. It's raining. And he, he got it on his head. So I'm pouring tomato juice on Tucker's head. It's just pathetic looking. It's dripping down into his eyes. And... Um, he, he looks at me like, why? And everything inside that dog wanted to jump out. But we had enough history that he trusted me. And I said, stay. And he stayed. He, he still doesn't know why that happened, right? Do you trust God? Maybe you don't understand the pain or the plan, but do you trust him that he's working all things together? For good. So the, the first way to live in light of this plan is focus on the planner, not the plan itself. Okay? You may not know until eternity why a particular thing has happened. Next practical way to live this out. Enjoy God's good gifts 
on the journey. I perceive that there is nothing better than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, as long as God's children live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. You know, we're back to this theme. We covered it for, for two weeks now. Enjoy a meal. <laughs> Enjoy every sandwich. Okay? Enjoy family gatherings. Celebrate when you can. In the poem, it has good things and bad things. There's death. There's mourning. There's war. Okay? Trust that God knows what he's doing when the bad things happen. You don't need to figure it all out. But don't let the bad rob you of enjoying the good. Some of us are like that. We're so burdened by the bad that we can't enjoy the good. Right? So here's a, a really helpful psalm, Psalm 23. So David is speaking as a sheep here. The Lord is my shepherd, so I'm the sheep, he's the shepherd. I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm a tough sheep? No. Because I'm, I'm with the shepherd. Um, I'm, I go on my walks everywhere I go, and I have to stop and, and pet the dogs. Okay, And um, there are some dogs that... Um, as soon as you show that you're even going to give an inclination to pet them, they come running and they'll bowl you over and they'll lick you. And, right? and then there's the occasional dog where if I go to pet him, he'll hide behind his master because he's scared. Right? The, the valley of the shadow of death, different commentators have different ideas here, but it's Sometimes the shepherd has to take his sheep through a dark valley. It's scary. There could be wolves. But these sheep, they're not afraid. Why? Because they're with the shepherd. And then it says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So here's my picture. I wish somebody would, would paint a picture like this. Picture Jesus sitting with a, 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 a picnic tablecloth spread on the, on the ground. And he's got his sheep all around. Some of them are on their back, you know, doing the thing the dogs do on their back. And, um, and, and around the perimeter are snarling, growling wolves. Yet the sheep are enjoying their picnic. Why? Because they're trusting the shepherd. Enjoy the good, even though there is bad. I, I think of, of uh, our kids growing up. Now, um, Caleb wanted to know if ever we were going 
on a trip or in the car, you know, where, where, where are we going and how much time is it going to be? And what are we going to do there? And will there be this? Will there, he needed it all figured out, okay? Um, Josh, <laughs> he's the youngest. And I, there are times, you know, we'd say, all right, everybody, get in the car. And they'd pile in the car, and he's having fun with his brother and sister and playing his Game Boy and just being Josh. And I remember one time, he, he, he goes, where are we going? Josh, we're on vacation. We're going on vacation. We're in Kentucky. We're going to Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, I don't know that you want to live to that extreme, but there should be a trust in the shepherd and an enjoyment of the good. Not blind to the fact that there is bad, but the good are gifts from God. Now, last thing, last way to live in light of this, this big, beautiful plan that God has. Do good even in the midst of chaos. So same, same couple of verses, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful, okay, we just talked about that, and to do good as long as they live. You know, some of you are in work situations where it's chaos. And you go, why should I be a good faithful worker when everybody else is lazy and cheating? Or, you know, name a political issue. Or, or just you try and you just can't get ahead. And it seems hopeless and you want to give up. And God says, it may seem like chaos. Here's your assignment. Be joyful and do good. I think of two examples. One, Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, you talk about a raw deal. He's hated by his brothers. He's sold as a slave into Egyptian slavery. He's a great worker, but his boss's wife falsely accuses him of rape. And he's thrown into a dungeon and forgotten for years. Yet, he does such a good job, they put him in charge of the prison. He's a prisoner, but he's in charge of the other prisoners. Now, there are two other prisoners uh, in prison with him, the king's cupbearer and the king's baker, and they have a disturbing dream, and they can't figure it out. And the next day, he notices that they're, they're kind of downcast. And um, it says, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And if I were them, I'd go, why isn't yours? <laughs> we're, we're rotting away in prison. We could die. Why are you so happy? Why are you working hard? Because I trust God. I don't understand why I'm here. But I believe he has a plan. So, I'm going to enjoy each sandwich. And I'm going to do good. 
So why are you guys troubled? Tell me. Tell me what's bothering you. Okay? Another final illustration. Ruth. In the book of Ruth. Now, the little book of Ruth, four chapters, is after the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is about Israel. They've, they've left Egypt. They've conquered the land of Israel. And now they're in the land, and it's 400 years, a 400-year period of depravity. The, the reoccurring theme is everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, sin was just wild. Uh, even the heroes in the book of Judges are questionable. Samson, he's a hero, but he sleeps with prostitutes. Okay? The, the book ends with a scene that's even worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's during the time of the judges, depravity, everybody doing what's right in his own sight. And then you turn to the book of Ruth and it says, during the time of the judges, there's this, this story about a girl named Ruth. And she's not even an Israelite. She's a Moabite. She lives in Moab. And because of a famine, a family from Israel goes to Moab and Ruth gets married to an Israelite. Okay? But then her husband dies. Her brother-in-law dies, and her father-in-law dies, leaving, leaving basically her and her mother-in-law, a Jewish mother-in-law and Ruth. Okay? And they decide, well, let's, let's go back to Israel. They cross the Dead Sea, and there they are living in utter poverty as poor widows. So the, the mother-in-law, her name is Naomi, she says, um, I left full, I came back empty. Call me Mara, call me empty. She's a bitter, tired woman. But Ruth shows no signs of complaining, and she diligently goes out to the field. There's a, a, a barley field, and she gleans. She pulls the little heads of grain off of uh, the wheat stalks, and hopefully gathers enough by the end of the day to feed her mother-in-law. All right, she just is doing good in the midst of confusion and pain in the book of Judges. All right, the owner of the field, his name is Boaz. Boaz sees this godly woman. He, he knows the story, and he marries her. Now, most people take this as a love story. His eyes fall upon the beautiful, stunning young Ruth. I don't know that she was beautiful. She was homeless, dirty, Poor. I don't know that this is a harlequin romance. What it is, is a man seeing a woman who's faithful 
and doing good in the midst of depravity, and he's a good man, and he marries her. And now they have a baby. Ruth and Naomi have a home they're taken care of. And then when they die, they don't know the bigger picture. But here's the last verse of Ruth. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz is the one who married Ruth. Boaz fathered Obed. That's Ruth's baby. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And David fathered Solomon. And they, they didn't know that they were going to be part of the lineage of King David. And the writer of the book of Ruth didn't know that you could keep going and say, David fathered Solomon, Solomon fathered so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so, who fathered Jesus. Great example. They don't, they don't have any idea of the big picture here. But they're godly. They're faithful. They de- do good, even though there's chaos all around. And it's all woven together into this beautiful, big picture. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, there is a time for everything. A season for everything. And we don't, We don't know how you are weaving it all together, but we trust, Lord, that you are. And Lord, I want to pray for those who may be going through some very difficult times and they're ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to give up. And I pray you would take this truth today. Just remind them of Ruth. Remind them of Joseph. Remind them of your promise. Romans 8, 28. Remind them that things are not spiraling out of control. Give faith, Lord. And I pray um, that, that we, even in the midst of our confusion, would bring glory to you by staying faithful to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name.